When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, listeners, and I'm delighted to have you join me once again for Building Better Businesses. My name is Steve Eschbach. I own a business called Transworld Business Advisors, and we do mergers and acquisitions uh, throughout the world. And I'm delighted today to have a special guest, Paul Higgins. And Paul Higgins has got a, a very interesting background. He's got extreme mega cap corporate experience, and uh, he's also got some small business expertise as well. So first of all, Paul, thank you very much for joining me today. Great to be here, Steve. Thank you so much. And uh, what I'd like to do, if you wouldn't mind, well, first tell me, uh, tell me a little bit on how you want the world to know who it is you are right now, and then we'll start going through the Q's and the A's. Yeah, sure. So I run a business called Build, Live, Give, and it's about helping low six, high seven-figure service business owners to do that, to build a great business, live a good life, and uh, and give back. And the key thing that we help them with is building sales systems. Oh, terrific. So we are going to get into that in a bit. Uh, first of all, let's uh, let's talk about you and uh, kind of your earlier life, if you will. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. By the way, I will mention that uh, Paul is from uh, Down Under. He's uh, from Australia, and I'm delighted that he's uh, decided to uh, kind of electronically connect with us halfway around the world, I think. That's how you characterize it. But anyway, talk a little bit about your upbringing. Where were you born? What was your childhood like? How, what kind of parental influence did you have growing up and uh, things of that sort? Yeah, well, I was born in the country. So uh, spent um, my first five years there. I always remember the, a story where I had a pet sheep and I had a pet turtle. And uh, one day I came out and the sheep had, had blown up. Now, the sheep had been bitten by a snake. I didn't know that. The turtle had disappeared. But my dad, being a salesperson at heart, said that the sheep had eaten the turtle. And unfortunately, son, that's you know what happens in, in life when you eat a turtle. So um, I always remember that story. But uh, we sort of continued dad's uh, career. So dad worked for Coca-Cola and um, it was a sort of a small bottler Coca-Cola company took that over and he sort of drifted towards the city. And, uh, you know, effectively, I spent my first 18 years conversing between the two. I was uh, lucky to live in the city, get all the opportunities to go to some of the best universities in the world. But at the same breath, breath, always back in the country, driving a truck, a tractor and, um, you know, uh, living that life. So it was it was a great balance. 
So talk a little bit about your, uh, let's say your formative years, grammar school, high school, and eventually into college. We know that you're a business consultant right now. You provide mentoring to, uh, to some of your clients, but uh, was that where you thought you would be when you were growing up and uh, through school and then college? Well, look, uh, I, I changed a lot of schools because dad, two reasons. One is he shifted a lot with work, but also uh, always wanted to, you know, up. he believed real estate was a great way of building independent wealth. So we, we moved a lot. So I was very good at getting to know people uh, quickly and fitting, fitting in. And um, I really grew up wanting to be either a lawyer or a pilot. And uh, as my grades became more scored, (laughs) started becoming more serious, and my math in particular (laughs) wasn't up for for that. So uh, that's when I sort of changed. And, you know, I I was always going to go into corporate, do business, go into corporate. Uh, The company I never wanted to work with or work for was Coca-Cola. My dad worked there. I didn't want to work there. And long story short, I spent 18 years there. So you wound up eventually being a sales executive and you've got some good accolades per your website. Uh, you got out of the starting gate rather quickly. You had some uh, uh, very successful accomplishments early on. How was it adapting to uh, you? You were going to be a lawyer or a pilot and now you're in sales. So tell me about that transition. Yeah, look, um, I must admit, I'm, I love helping people but it's more the help than the the hardcore sales back then. So I suppose what's become more normal now with getting the client to make choices and you're really just helping them expedite their success. I suppose I was doing that before it was sort of natural. So, you know, a lot of the training you got at the Coke company was absolutely brilliant, but it was probably a little bit, was a different style to what to, to what I took. So a quick example was uh, mobile phones just came out. This was 93, 94 in Australia, you know, the big brick. I'm sure we can all remember them. And um, they wouldn't let – actually, no, sorry, the brick was prior to that. This was where you actually had a little handheld device. But in short, Coke said we can't provide you one. So I went and got one myself and I said to my customers, look, you know, what's going to sell you more stock quicker and they said well the sooner it's on display i said yeah so why don't you call me on this number right you're going to pay for the call it's going to cost you a dollar or whatever but i'm going to make sure that your display up your display is up before anyone else's so you sell more stock and in short you know i got salesperson of the quarter the first two quarters and i remember a conversation where they said hey this higgins guy no you know Everyone thinks that he got in because of his father, but it, he just seems to be – he's cheating the system. He's a cheat. He's a fraud. Like, how does he get these results? And we can't let him win three quarters in a row. You know, this is embarrassing. And I sort of walked off, you know, with a bit of a chuckle and thought, oh, well, you know, they'll, they'll work it out at some point. And uh, they dodged the figures. I didn't get the third quarter one. But I knew then that, you know, in sales you didn't have to be um, hardcore pushing someone into something. You just – went for what was natural, what they wanted to achieve and just help them get there quicker. And that mobile phone, I suppose, was a, a case in point of what, what I did all my career. Interesting. So to be clear, and I made the mistake before we started this call, I thought you were from Atlanta <laughs> and you're not. So the Coca-Cola... No, I've been to Atlanta because that was the head of Coke, right? But yeah, no. But the Coca-Cola you worked for was the one in Australia. So... Uh, that's very, very interesting. So during the course of your career, you started in sales. Now you did have a life event, a life changing event that sort of shifted your 
focus from a big corporate environment to something smaller scale. And I'll let you take me down the path that you want the, the audience to know on how you went from Coca-Cola to where you are right now. Yeah. And just quickly, Steve, and, and everyone listening, I, in my career, like I said, sales was something that I loved to do, but it wasn't the only thing. So I went into general management and what I ended up doing was acquiring companies. And uh, I always remember, you know, uh, a couple of key things. So one was have multiple options, right? So don't put all your eggs in one basket and don't think that that acquisition is ever going to come off. And the other thing that I learned was, you know, it's all in the key variables. And uh, for example, I went to buy one of the largest milk manufacturing companies in Australia. And uh, we looked at one key thing, which was if there's two supermarkets that dominate Australia. So think of Walmart, et cetera, they dominate. And um, if they went in to sell their own milk, so private label milk, and that destroyed the value of uh, the branded milk, mm-hmm. the business was all over. And we just ran some numbers on that and it, it fell over. So that was some of the lessons that I learned by uh, acquiring and integrating businesses within the Coke company. But yeah, in 2011, my specialist, I, I've got a, a disease called polycystic kidney disease. It's inherited 50-50 at birth. My grandfather died at 41. We nearly lost mum at the same age. So um, my specialist just said, look, um, you know, there's one more thing I want you to achieve in life. And I'm like, oh, okay, I've got a good career. I've got two kids. I've got a great wife, great family. She goes, I want you to stay around for your grandkids. And it, like, it hit me, hit me hard. I'm like, I can't even thought of that. So she said, stop flying around the world, stop working 80 hours a week and take care of yourself. And that's when I left in 2011 to basically run a business, which eventually I knew was going to be run in hospital. So basically, you've had quite a bit of mergers and acquisitions experience. So the theme of building better businesses is probably something that's uh, inherent, instilled in you. And so now you're doing what you did with Coca-Cola. Now you're doing it in a probably smaller scale and a more diverse environment. Am I correct about that? Yeah, spot on. Look, I left being an executive coach because I thought that was a good idea, but I realized as a coach, I sort of sucked. I was a much better mentor. I wanted to share my experience. And also, I've really gone past corporate. So I went into small businesses. I built two companies, an outsourcing business and a tech business, two gaps that I could clearly see to help clients get results. And um, yeah, I divested one in 2016 and had a, a successful exit in 2011 i remember the guy that sold that um bought the business said you know you're the hardest guy i've ever negotiated with and i'm like well you know go and and deal with a retailer for for three and a half years and and see what that's like and also you know because of my merger and acquisition experience in corporate has certainly helped and uh, we've got a good multiple uh, probably a, a lot higher than uh, we would have if i didn't have that experience Interesting. So how many mergers and acquisitions would you say you've been involved with and, and what, what size range are they? And I guess Australian dollars not quite the same as U.S. dollars, but they're close, aren't they? Yeah, look, you know, I went from, you know, like a 300 million to, you know, up to, you know, one and a half billion. So um, it really varied. And we also did a lot of joint venture deals, partnerships. So uh, Jim Beam, which I know is a brand that's, you know, you guys have, have, well, Coke and Jim Beam are two huge brands that you've embedded in the US and, and spread around the world. And, you know, I did a joint 
uh, deals with them. So we did the manufacturing back end. We distributed their product. We set up a whole alcohol division here in Australia based off, you know, it wasn't a, it was more of a partnership than it was a, a merger. But um, yeah, so had a lot of experience in that area and, and love that. But uh, when you've got a kidney condition that, you know, you can't, you just, yeah, you can't function like you'd like to. And, and also uh, having a kidney function working for, you know, one of the biggest soft drink companies in the world sort of didn't sit uh, as well with me as what it was when I first joined in 93. Interesting. You mentioned Coke and Jim Beam, and uh, not only are they two prominent companies, but some of them like to mix the two together, and uh, that's what their afternoon delight would be, so to speak. Um, sure. Tell me a little bit about um, your sales career, your m and career. What advice did you get as you were forming your expertise in that area? What would you say was probably one or two pieces of advice that you got that helped you get to where you were today or where you are today? Yeah, so from a sales perspective, there was a Miller Hyman's, a company that's got a methodology called strategic selling. And it was basically a format for complex sales. So what I learned there is that there's always more buyers involved than you think. Each role, so there's different roles by different buyers, and they've all got different personal wins and business wins. And if you can just methodically go through and collect that information and see what the gaps are in that information, that will help you with sales. And a quick example, and unfortunately now because of sugar, but I invented a cold product in the front of all supermarkets in Australia. And uh, long story short, we took a major retailer to the U.S., for a study visit, we didn't realize that they were going to Canada, which we funded their trip to launch private label against us. And uh, so, you know, we thought this is going to very much hurt our share. I went to a little supermarket called Stu Leonard's, who unfortunately oh, was Activation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he had a check-in career, but his retail presence was brilliant. And there's a little fridge sitting there at the front end. I'm like, hang on, we can sell a, you know, uh I forget how many ounces we we use mills, but whatever ounces uh, we can sell that for you know three dollars, which is the same as you know a two liter on the shelf, and we can make more money out of it. Hey retailer, you go for it if you want to launch a private label against our two liter. But why don't we put this across the board? So everyone's counting the money. This is like the biggest win of of all time. And then the head of operations. Right at the last minute, said, Alan, no one's talked to me about this. My, my guys aren't getting paid to fill your fridges. We're not going to pay them. And that was the classic where I've learned that there's always more people involved in a sale. Map it out, be methodical, find out their personal wins, also their business wins, and you will close more sales. So that was the key thing I learned in sales. Yeah, it sounds like you did a lot of listening and learning along the way. For those of you who may not be familiar with Stu Leonard's, that's one of the few stores where it's in a maze. So you go in one door and you cannot get out until you go through the whole store. And I think they did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, a bit of Ikea there. But the other one, which was just the theater in there, like you went over and grabbed the milk and the you know cow mood at you. And yeah, he's very right. He just picked the wrong accountant, I think. So did any of that, so that's on the sales side. Now you're into mergers and acquisitions. You're divesting. You're doing some joint ventures and et cetera like that. Anything from the sales experience that you had kind of spill over to mergers and acquisitions? Or did you have to morph any of that as you went forward? No, look, it's the same thing, right? It's collecting facts. It's it's listening, collecting facts, staying unemotional, 
seeing the most important with the merger and acquisition is looking at both sides of the ledger, right? Most people only look at their side. It's, it's so important to look at the other side. So, for example, if you're selling a company, you know, what is the true benefit? So not what the net weighted cash flow tells you the business is worth. What are they going to do with it? How are they going to roll it up? What's their benefit? So you can get a multiple that's a lot higher. So I think they're the things that I really learned. And the other one is those key assumptions, right? There's only, you know, you can do all the due diligence in the world and, you know, all of the large accounting firms and consulting firms will want you to do as much due diligence because they get paid. But ultimately, there's probably five key measures in the P&L and five key things that you've really got to focus your attention on. And if you get those right, you win. If you waste your time collecting all this information that is superfluous, you'll often not get those five key things. And I think that's what makes all the difference. Absolutely. So it sounds like you do some consulting both on the buy side and the sell side. Am I right? Yeah. So are there pieces of advice that you would give a selling client that may be a little different than a buying client or are the principles the same, just kind of melded a little differently? What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, look, I think from a, if I'm buying a, a business uh, what I want to make sure is that um, I, I really do get those key numbers and I'm making sure that I'm really starting to knock down their assumptions, right? So don't go say the price is too high, right? Go in and look at the key drivers in the business and then acid test those and say, look, you know, so you've got you know, these clients, as an example, of 80% of your revenue. So, you know, what do the contracts look like? You know, how long are they? You know, what, what's the ability to get it uh, over? And if they can't answer that question, then obviously that's going to bring the price down. So use facts to bring the price down. From the seller's perspective, obviously the more buyers you've got, the better, right? So make sure that you are shopping the market and you're making sure that you've got multiple options. And, uh, you know, I think that's the key thing if you're selling a business. Absolutely. So what would you consider would be your most uh, or your ideal client, your best type of client? Has that changed since you went from Coca-Cola to where you are now? I would imagine it would have. But so now you're more selective. Now you work with a number of companies. What is the most ideal client for Paul Higgins? Yeah. And, and in short, it's, it's following your journey, right? I always believe that you know, if, if you're looking for a mentor, it should be someone that's just just gone through your experience, right, but isn't too far ahead of you because it's not relative. So for me, I started coaching people to begin with, small business owners, and then I moved into helping people that had gone through corporate running their own business, right? So there were still small businesses, but who had a corporate background. I understood their language. We sort of combined the both. Now, my ideal client are people that still have left corporate running their own business, but now they've sort of hit a million dollars in, in turnover and, you know, they're getting good results, but most of it's come from referrals, right? So, therefore, they, they haven't got multiple ways of getting leads and new clients. And the second thing is that it's all reliant upon them. They're sole dependent on sales. So, you know, if they go on holidays for a couple of weeks or if something happens to them, like my condition – if something happens, you know, their business can't grow. So, you know, for me, that's my absolute sweet spot. I help them in 12 weeks build a solid sales system 
And then from there, you can go and hire against it. Because what I find is a lot of people say, oh, well, I'll just bring a salesperson on because I can't handle sales delivery. You know, I, the business is getting too big. But they don't have any infrastructure for that salesperson to do. So they blame the salesperson for not being successful. But nine out of 10 times, it's because they actually don't have a system that makes it easy for the salesperson to come in. Sure. So what advice now would you give going forward? Anything has changed over the course of your career that, you know, you learned something 10, 12 years ago that now as you're dealing with new clients, is there something that may have changed, particularly in this COVID-19 environment? Maybe there's some, some uh, I don't know, direction or advice that may have changed. What do you think about that? Yeah, look, I think the number one thing, and I don't think it's changed from pre or post COVID, is you've got to have an offer that converts. Right, that's all you need in business to be sales based. So, you know, so often we come up with our own ideas and then we go to try to find a market for it. The easiest thing is to find the market you want to work with, know exactly what their hair on fire problem is, like they something they really need to solve, and then get an offer that's that helps that. That just cuts out all of the marketing, all of the sales effort, it just makes it so much easier if you start with that. The other one is recurring revenue, right? Don't go project-based. You know, the you know, you ask Netflix, you ask Apple, you ask most companies in the world, Amazon, classic example of making lots of money. They make it because their cost of acquisition is so much lower of client because they get the client once and they have a long customer lifetime value it's also great when you sell a business as well as you know if you've got a large annuity stream it's a lot easier to sell a business and also if you've got it across lots of clients so your base is quite solid when we sold our tech business the great thing is that we had lots of clients paying a recurring revenue so therefore it was you know it was harder to knock the price down because we're like well here We're quite, we're not diverse by who we focus on, but we're diverse by the number of customers we've got. Uh, that's a very, very good point. I know that a lot, a lot comes up a lot. Contract revenues is uh, is critical. Uh, we're unfortunately running out of time, Paul. So uh, I've asked you some questions. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to have our audience know? Yeah, so one thing, and this is on a personal note, is if you're not an organ donor, please go and put yourself on the register. So my best friend donated. I nearly lost my life in 2018. He brought me back in 2019 with a healthy kidney. Uh, I'm, you know, just I think it's so important. It's a tick of the box in the US. Please go and become an organ donor. I'm living proof of just the difference it makes. And the other thing is, like I said before, is just get experts to help you. At the Coke Company, the reason we were so successful is, yes, we made lots of money, but we made lots of money because we hired people that helped us incremental to our team. The marketing team at Coca-Cola was all run by agencies. Internal marketing set a bit of strategy. They sort of made sure that it was going the right direction, but they hired experts to do it. You should do the same. If you're going to sell a business, if you're buying a business, like Steve, get experts in to help you. You've never done it before. People like Steve have done it in their sleep. So I highly recommend an expert. It's the same when it comes to sales. If you've never had sales experience, don't be hard on yourself because you're not getting the results. You haven't had the training. You haven't got the experience. You know, it's a small proportion of the cost to get someone in versus the prize of you getting it right. The opportunity uh, cost is great. 
Yeah, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. It's not what you know, but who you know, and uh, leveraging that to the next level is certainly key. Well, Paul, before we go, I want you to have an opportunity to tell the world, and literally we're talking about the world, how they can find more information about you, your website, email, telephone, whatever you want to leave behind. By all means, please let us know. Yeah, well, all roads lead to paulhigginsmentoring.com. So just go there. You'll get my podcast, which is Build, Live, Give. You'll get my book, which is Build, Live, Give. And you'll also get some great resources there. So just paulhigginsmentoring.com. Okay. Thank you so much, Paul. I very much appreciate your insights. Thank you for your time. And I wish you a good day. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.